0: Well, it's my honor to say a very warm Merry Christmas to you. I hope you enjoy a special time with, with your family, either last night or this morning, however, your family chooses to celebrate. But we have come together as a faith family this morning for exactly one purpose. We have one eternal, glorious purpose, which is to adore our God and our King Jesus. And as we sung last night so powerfully, oh, come. Let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And singing to our God in this profound way from deep inside is expressing our affections for him. After all, God did create us to praise him. That's why he made us, to be a display of his infinite perfections. And it's natural for us to praise things. We all do it. It really is. It's what we do. We, we praise what we value. All of us do this. And so if you have children, a lot of you do. If you got up early this morning and you opened presents, I'm sure you had children that just erupted into spontaneous praise, didn't they? When they opened the present, you have to say, now make sure to get happy. Like you didn't have to do that, right? Like it, it's just... Natural and instantaneous. Now, if you say, Now let's clean up, then that's not spontaneous. That's, that's not an overflow of what's inside. See, so that's what we have to instruct and, and teach them to learn to enjoy serving so that then it is a natural overflow. But what we do, all of us, we praise what we love. So, and so children. Praise their favorite toys. And they say, Come look at this. Isn't this great? They want others to join in their exultation over their new prized possession. But it's not just children. Grown-ups also want and praise their toys and say, Hey, come look at my new car. You want others to see it and, and to join you and you praising. Your, your new acquired possession, hopefully without payments, you know, you saved and you paid it off and, and, and with good stewardship, naturally. But we praise what we value, just like sports fans praise their favorite team. They, they praise their club. Even when they're having a down year, they're mid-table. They're still praising their favorite team. That's what we do. Collectors, they praise that rare find A man that is in love will praise his his girl. He should. You see, God made us this way. He made us to praise, to speak well of, to find joy in the things that we value. And all of us do this. All of us praise what we enjoy and what we value. And praise is the completion of our joy. Hear me. It's the consummation. So there's this internal desire. There's this this joy. And then when we express affection or gratitude or love for it, when we praise it, it's it's like a completion of it. And so if there's no praise, that's evidence of no joy. Failure to praise means you don't value it. You, You don't... Find it important. You don't find her beautiful. You don't really value him all that much. How do I know? Because you don't praise. Now, you can't fake this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the natural overflow that just comes out, much like the child or the adult on Christmas morning opening the present, just spontaneous eruption of joy and praise. That's what we're talking about here. Is what's deep inside. No praise means no joy. And so our goal as humans is to adore Jesus. To just praise him. So that our lives are just overflowing with worship as a natural, spontaneous overflow. The problem is that because we're all sinners, all of us... Our, our desires are so corrupted or conflicted. We're not in heaven yet. We're not holy yet. We're being made holy through the Spirit's work as we focus on his word in community. God does sanctify us like we just sung about. He's sanctifying us, making us more holy. But we are not glorified yet. And so our hearts can so easily drift away from our first so our hearts deep inside need to be constantly tuned to Jesus so that we will praise him naturally. So it's just the overflow where we just want to. and then have our hearts tuned to him. And that's been the focus of our December series in Luke 1 and 2, looking at various songs. We looked at the song of Mary, the song of Zechariah. Last night, we looked at the song of the angels. This morning, we're going to look at the song of Simeon. That's in Luke chapter 2. We must focus our entire lives on Jesus so that we can then have our hearts tuned to him. So let's read Luke 2. we We'll Look at verses 22 through 26. And then we'll read the song of Simeon. But I want to get the context first. So Luke 2, verses 22 through 26. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. So what we're seeing here, what we read early in worship gathering, Verses 1 through 21, we just read now 22 through 26. And the first 21 verses, very brief recap. You have Jesus, who is the king of glory, has humbled himself to become a human being, still fully God, but now also a human, came into the world. He was born, he was placed in an animal feeding box, a manger, there as a newborn baby. Lowly, non respected people in the community, shepherds are the first ones to come and worship the king. So so you see, the king of all glory humbles himself, becomes a human, humbles himself, is laid in an animal feeding box, and the first people to come worship him are not respected the shepherds. He's making some statements here. He's making it clear that he has come in humility. Now, one day he'll come back in full glory to defeat the enemy, but he first came in very humble, unsuspecting. You have these shepherds that are worshiping him. But then there is an the angelic choir. We saw that text last night where they sung, said, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and to those with whom God is pleased, peace. And so they, they, they sing for him, and then he is named Jesus. Because his name means the Lord saves. So his name is not by accident. It's revealed by God. And it's revealing who he is. He is the Savior. And then it says that he is taken by Mary and Joseph to the temple. Now this was 40 days after he was born. So he's a mere six weeks old. And so Jesus is taken by his mother and his earthly father, if you will, Joseph. Not biologically his father, but the father figure in his life. And so Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple, and and they do three specific acts of worship. You can call them rituals, but it was more than rituals. These these were expressions of, of worship, and they were symbolic and had great meaning. And so the first one, it says purification. And so this was for Mary, for her purification. This is out of Leviticus chapter 12. It describes that she had to be made ritually clean, before god after giving birth and this involved animal sacrifice so if you're curious go back to leviticus 12 and read all about that but so she was doing that she was being made she was being purified before god and then secondly here you have the redemption of the firstborn son it says the firstborn son is to be holy to the lord this is from exodus 13 also from numbers chapter 3 there in the Old Testament, in the law, it, it describes that the firstborn son symbolically represented the whole family. And so the firstborn son would represent the, the entire unit. But because of sin, the whole family, like the rest of us, deserved to die because God is holy. And we can only be in God's presence if we're equally holy. And there has to be a payment, a penalty for our sin. So the whole family deserve to die. But God said, your firstborn son can die in the place of the whole family because he represents the whole family. But because God is gracious, he says, no, you can just pay a price. So that way the son doesn't have to die. This is all very symbolic, pointing to Jesus, where there has to be a payment made. Redemption means the price paid to free a slave. And so the firstborn son, you had to take him at 40 days of of age and pay five shekels, pay it to the temple. Now, this was not to raise money for the temple. It it wasn't about that. This is a symbolic way to demonstrate we are paying the redemption price so that our son can be set free, who represents our entire family, so that we won't have to die for our sins The price is paid. This, again, all points to Christ's work on the cross. And and the third thing here is the the consecration of the firstborn son. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 1. To to consecrate means to make holy. So saying that, that the firstborn son was set apart to be holy. God, and we're all called to be set apart. And so all of these Old Testament rituals all point to and are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He purifies us. He paid the redemption price. He makes us holy. This is all pointing to Christ. But in in that era when Jesus hadn't died yet, this was a was It was a pointing to what was going to happen, and they were expressing their profound trust in God. This is acts of worship that's showing that they trust their god who is their savior and while the family is there doing this this acts of worship there's a man there named simeon and the text says that he was righteous and devout so he was a godly man who was following god and he was waiting for the messiah for the one who would come for the consolation so so for the comforting for the rescue of God's people. And the Spirit of God had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. So let's read how Simeon responds when he sees the newborn child. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people, Israel. So you see, he sings a song. He sees Jesus he is moved by the Spirit and he recognizes he's, and he knows this is the Messiah. This is the Savior, the hope of the world. And he breaks out in song as inspired by the Spirit. The Jesus came to save us from sin and from death. And this song that he sings reveals the meaning of Christmas that we're celebrating today. Verse 28, he says, Blessed be God. So he says, Bless God. So again, this word blessed, like we saw last week with Zechariah and also with Mary, it means to praise, it, it means to adore, to, to worship, so he is praising God. So let me give you the primary truth from the song of Simeon, is that the people of God are called to worship Him continuously. We, we are called by God to worship Him, but ongoingly. Continuously. So we're called to worship him with our whole lives. But the emphasis of this song, that is not a one-time thing, it's not just on Fridays, it's not just any time. He says now. In verse 28, or verse 29 rather, where he begins the song, in the original language, the first word is now. And so it's it's an emphatic word and setting a tone for the entire song. And he says, now. Lord. So he's saying not later, he's saying now, and emphasizing this continual nature of, but beginning right now. A lot of people are just playing games with God. I'm not saying anyone in this room, but we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, am I playing games with God? There are people that are just entangled with an addiction or a sinful pattern, and they know that it's destroying them. It's a matter of time before they're found out, and they know it. And they know that this has to come to an end. They know that they cannot continue in the darkness and in the lying. They they know that they have to come clean, confess to someone else, and to allow healing and freedom to come in. But they think to themselves, okay, it's a small problem. It's not that small. But they think to themselves, okay, I'll get serious. uh, I'm going to get serious about quitting later. Not today. Not now. Later. Others say, oh, I'll get serious about serving God in his church later. I don't want to serve right now. This is not the right time for me to serve. I'll serve later. Or, or I'll, I'll commit to really get on a budget and give generously as an act of joy later. Not now. This is not the right season for me to give. I, I'll get around to that. I know I'm going to, but later. I'm going to follow Jesus intentionally. I'm going to really read the Word. I'm going to really pray. I, I'm going to really... Follow him later. I'm going to start teaching my children the word later. I'm going to look for a godly husband or wife later. I'm having fun right now. I'm not, I'm not really looking to be godly right now. Yeah, I, I know it matters. I'll get around to it another time. And so it's so easy for us to put things off, and yet God is speaking so clearly with his emphasis on now. Now that Jesus has come, now that he has revealed, he's displaying his glory, he has made the Father known, now that he is beginning to recreate humanity, now the kingdom has been ushered in, now there's a dawn of all things being made new, Now Jesus is here. Now we worship him with all that we have inside of us. No more later. No more faking it. No more pretending. No more games. Saying now. And so deep down inside of us, we've been made to just overflow with praise to God. That is manifested with how we think and how we speak and what We do. And so this song gives us some powerful truths that we must focus on in regards to worshiping God now. And there's three of them, and we'll go further quickly, and then we have children in the room, and yeah, I want to go keep celebrating, so we won't have a full-length sermon today, but we do want to spend some time just briefly here in this song. give you three truths about worshiping God now. Number one what we need to keep our minds focused on is on serving your master. And so in order for us to have lives that overflow with worship for him, it begins with having your mind focused on serving your master. You see in verse 29, he says, yes, now, and, but he calls God his Lord. The word Lord here means master. Now, some translations have the, the, the translation sovereign Lord, that's not a bad translation. It's describing that he is the Lord, sovereign, all-powerful. He's the master, which is why he calls himself a servant in that same verse. Jesus is the master. I am the servant. And then he says that he's ready to, to he says, depart in peace, which means he's ready to die. So that's what it means. But it means a little bit more than just, okay, yeah, I'm ready to die now. It, it means that he's finished, halas, he's finished the task, he's completed his calling. That which the master entrusted to him, he's not perfect, but he's been faithful to accomplish it. He's completed what he was assigned, and so he's finished serving faithfully. So it says, Lord, now you are letting your servants depart in peace according to your word. So God's revealing here that he wants our mind and our will, all of us, to be focused on serving our master. But here's the reality. All of us serve. We do. To be human is to serve. You can never escape it. You can try and try to escape serving, but you will serve. Maybe you'll serve yourself, but you will. We're made to serve. We're servants. That is our identity. That's how we've been wired. So the question isn't, will you serve? The question is, who or what will you serve? And so Simeon here had lived a life of following and of serving his God intentionally. And now at the end, he's ready to go home and we know this in Abu Dhabi, don't we? We know that we're not home. And a lot of us sometimes wonder, well, where even is home? Because you think about going back to your, quote, home country, and you think, I don't want to go back there. It's falling apart back there. It's not the same as it used to be. You sold your home like me. I, sold my home. I don't even know where home is anymore. I don't have a house. It's Not the same when I go back. I'm home here. I've been called here. My faith family is here. But we do live with this reality of not being home. But this is good for us because home is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven and we're reminded that we're not home yet. Tonight get too comfortable here. We're just exiles, expatriates just passing through. Simeon's ready to go home. Do you serve like this, intentionally, with urgency, now? See, if you're a believer, and I believe most of you in the room are, then part of your identity, who you are, is you are a servant of God. Have you embraced that identity, that role that you have or do you find yourself kind of pushing away, not really wanting that part of your identity where you're finding against who you are, how God has made you, and where joy is found in serving the master? The second truth about worship here is worshiping God now by seeing your Savior. So first is by serving the master, but then also seeing The Savior, in verse 30, Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. So he saw Jesus. He saw the person who would bring salvation. And when he saw Jesus, he was prompted to do what? To sing. He was prompted to praise God. That was the natural overflow. Just was instantaneous in this volcanic eruption naturally was praised by just seeing Jesus. So we're seeing here that seeing the glory of Jesus results, leads to worship. And my prayer has been, it's every week, but particularly with this Christmas season, that you have seen the glory of King Jesus. That you've seen him as you've sung his praises. As his word has been read, and I pray faithfully preached, that you have gotten just a glimpse of how glorious he is, how he took our sin, our shame, our guilt on the cross, and he made that redemption payment, and that God is holy, so Jesus paid it all as the atoning sacrifice, and that we are deeply loved by a God in heaven that we are forgiven and redeemed, and we are justified, we are adopted, we are accepted, we are being sanctified. And one day, we're going to be resurrected and glorified. And all of this is for the glory of God. And so this transformation that the Bible talks about, it never says, try harder. Never. You you won't read in the Bible where it says, you just have to try harder. Be more religious. Go to church. By the way, you can't go to church. Church is a people, so you can't go to the people. The church gathers together on Fridays and in our home, but then we scatter to display His glory throughout the world where we live. But I digress. The Bible emphasizes, when it's talking about transformation, it says, not try harder, it says, behold your God. See your God. Behold the glory of the Lord as you're being transformed into his image from one degree to another. So we, we behold the glory of Jesus, and then that is when our hearts are changed and our behavior follows. And so it's all about beholding the glory of God, seeing him. And so... I don't ever want to convey the idea. And if I do, correct me. They need to try harder. It's see Jesus more. See more of his glory. And then I can assure you that you will want on your own to try harder. And you will find yourself automatically trying harder. But you can't get these confused. Seeing your Savior, seeing his glory is what leads to transformation. So we must draw near to him and focus on this great salvation that he has given to us that we can't earn, don't deserve. He gives it, and then we respond with just worshiping him. But the moment that we take our eyes off of Jesus, because all of us can do this subtly, we can take our focus off of Jesus and put it somewhere else, that's the moment that you're going to begin to feel overwhelmed by life moment that you're going to find your heart drifting towards things that are not pleasing to Him. We're going to find ourselves worshiping other things and doubting that He loves us and doubting His goodness and, and having our trust waver in Him. All, all of these things begin to happen when we take our eyes off of the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we must continue to fix our eyes, our gaze on Jesus. See your Savior and allow him through his spirit to begin to change you from the inside out that will just overflow with praise. As we close, number three, we worship God now by sharing your story. Sharing your story. You, you see this in verse 31 and 32 of the song. He says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for Glory to your people, Israel. He's saying salvation is for all people, all nations. And I love living here because we see all nations together worshiping the Lamb who was slain for us. And so God's glory is revealed when people that are far from him come running to God, confess their sin, and say, God, save me. I trust you alone. And at that moment, they're forgiven, they're pardoned, they receive the Spirit, they're indwelt by him, and their lives begin to change. When, When lost come to God, he's glorified. But we are the light. We are the ones that are commissioned to share this good news for all peoples. We must be a light to these nations. You must share your story. Share your story of how God saved you it's bigger than your story. Your story points to the story of God. Because when you share your story if how God saved you, you're sharing the gospel. You're sharing the good news of God who saved and changed you. That there's forgiveness and true joy that is available to all those that will repent and trust in Jesus. And we're the ones that share that. May we truly be awestruck by our God. We focus on Serving him, seeing him and sharing him as overflow of our love and adoration for him that is continuous and ongoing. And if you're here, because you came, because it's Christmas and it's the religious or right thing to do. Maybe today is a day where you realize that knowing God is not a religious ritual; it's not religion, at all. It's knowing Jesus. It's having a personal relationship with Him, where you know Him, enjoy Him, and you worship Him. And all He asks is that you trust Him, with all of your heart, repent of your sins, and trust Him. And if today you desire to do that, I would ask you'll be here at the front. You can come talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you more about what it means to know and enjoy God and how to follow His Son. Will you pray with me? Our holy and truly righteous Father, we are overwhelmed by you and how you love us and how on this special day, we remember that you sent your Son for us That we who are lost and desperate for you, we have hope because of you. I pray for anyone right now in this room that is grappling with these truths. May you be so real to him or her right now that they will just respond with complete trust in you. And may those of us that know you, may we respond to you with lives of worship and adoration for you are worthy. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.